Ben! Ready to hear. Hi, we have Dahlia Cicada here. Hey, Dahlia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. And um, let's get started because it's really late over there and we chit-chat for almost half an hour before we started. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how do you get in the ABA field? Currently, I have a master's degree in applied behavior analysis from Florida Institute of Technology. And I have a bachelor's degree from Florida State University in psychology and an extra one in French, so I have two bachelors from FSU. How did I get into the field of ABA? Well, in high school, I was really interested in biology and psychology. I was that kid that took all the AP classes. So initially, I entered Florida State thinking I was um, going to do neuroscience. Eventually, that changed. I started focusing more on psychology, but felt a little lost because, like most of us have found, Psychology gets a little convoluted and doesn't make too much sense. But sitting in my advisor's office, I had an amazing moment, which was I found a pamphlet for the performance management program at Florida State with Dr. John Bailey. Basically, the first question in the front of that pamphlet said, are you interested in psychology? Are you interested in business? Why not mix both? And that completely piqued my interest. I looked at it felt very connected to it, thought it made sense. The pamphlet was very informative. And the next thing I did is asked my advisor to look into it and see if that could be something I could do and sign up for classes. And she said, absolutely. That led me to do the performance management track at Florida State. So I've been involved in ABA since undergrad. Um, and then eventually getting into Florida Tech and working with Dr. Dave Wilder and Dr. Jose Martinez-Diaz um, in my master's degree in applied behavior analysis with an emphasis in OBM. So organizational behavior management is actually my first love. <laughs> Ooh la la. So what is your Skinnerian message, a quote that is ABA related or ABA inspired? So one of my favorite things to tell people is that everything that happens to you is an opportunity to learn. We know that. So the quote that I chose is from Beyond Freedom and Dignity. It is, a failure is not always a mistake. It is simply the best one can do under the circumstances. The real mistake is to stop trying. That is so true. Uh, kind of similar to uh, Thomas Edison said, he didn't fail a thousand times, something like that. He just found a thousand ways it didn't work. I was telling, I was sending my boss an email to say that, you know, I'm making mistakes, learning moments. It's not making mistakes is not a behavior. Right, right. And so every opportunity to learn and shape your behavior is exactly what you need to see. It's not mistakes. It's learning opportunities. Oh, I got lots of those, and I will have more to come. <laughs> we all do. We all do. So uh, the next question we can answer is, so why, when and why did you decide to get your BCBA? or I say become a Jedi, and do you remember the day that you got your BCBA? So I, it kind of was a no-brainer, obviously. I had my master's degree in ABA. There was no other road I was going to take other than to become board certified. Do I feel like I'm more than just a board certified behavior analyst? Yes, I feel truly like a behavior analyst at heart. The theory, the ABA basically is what I do and in and, and, and the broad spectrum of it, not just niche little pieces of it. So there was just really no other, no other thing I could do. Do I remember the day I got my BCBA as in the results? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, not the second time around. I um, remember getting my BCA results very, BCABA, sorry, results very clearly because I was still in grad school. When I took my BCBA exam, I was so busy working out in the community 
that I kind of just remember getting the results and not thinking too much about it, just thinking, great, I passed the first time around. <laughs> That's all that mattered. <laughs> so it, it wasn't as memorable as when I got my BCABA. My BCABA really, I had a, a little party in my room <laughs> when I got the results for that um, because I, could ha I, I had the ability then to say I was an assistant behavior analyst. At the time, I think it was associate. I, I can't remember which one is, has switched now, but I know that the title has changed. But I didn't want to be the one student in the program that didn't get their BCABA. Oh, such pressure. <laughs> right, exactly. So when I got it, passed it the first time too, um, it was just joy, pure joy in my bedroom. <laughs> Ooh, so it's like all of a sudden you just change all your, just change your resume. BCABA, hello. That's right. ABA, right. hello. Right. I think with my, um, when I got the BCBA, mm -hmm. I remember having to take the certificate to my work so that I can tell them that I now was fully certified. But it, it wasn't as memorable. Go figure. It should have been, right? <laughs> just, just you had that already. It's kind of like, oh, you had a kid right. already. Now the second one, eh. Right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, well, we talked about this before, but you need to share your ABA lineage because it's really, really impressive. Care to brag a little bit about your lineage? I would love to brag about my ABA lineage. It's fantastic. I had the opportunity to be at Florida State while Dr. John Bailey was still there and he was fantastic. He actively taught our undergrad classes. The first year, we had his doctoral students teaching us. Second year, we had him, and at all points, we can easily contact him. So Dr. Bailey, doctoral degree from University of Kansas, positive that he worked with Bear, Wolf, and Raisley. <laughs> so amazing. My, he was the first person to instill the love of ABA into my world and to show me how great it was because it just made perfect sense. Life just fit into ABA and, and, and it really changed my perspective. Then in grad school, I had the opportunity to work, like I said, with Dr. Dave Wilder, who's also fantastic, and Dr. Jose Martinez-Diaz. We Almost everybody knows who he is now, of course, but he is, those two professors also changed my world. Um, they just added layers and layers of depth of understanding ABA into what was already started to the base that was started by Dr. Bailey. So that is my ABA lineage, and I could not be happier with it. Don't forget to tell us who is your current mentor that you have contact with most these days. Okay, so my, my current mentor, thank you for bringing him up because he's also he also has shaped me into the behavior analyst that I am. Is, is Mr. Kevin Schock, currently the Assistant Director of Licensure in Virginia. Um, and some of you may know him from his book with Dr. Enio Sipani on functional, analysis, functional assessments. He has been nothing but an open source of information and mentoring for me. He has helped me to clarify everything that you learn in school that you just don't know how to apply at first sometimes. Um, and has taught me how to apply behavior analysis to my work, has taught me to question everything, and then has taught me one of the best things that anybody has is whenever somebody comes with a problem and we have to think outside the box, then we have to test it. So every time, one of the things he always said to me, if I came up with a question for him or a question about a client or any issue, his answer was, well, let's test it. And with him, I got all my experience running functional analyses. So I became so well-versed with that through him as well. So yeah, I and I could still call him at any moment, which is great. And, and he's been an amazing ABA mentor. Wow, good you. And there's my bragging moment. Can you tell I'm really proud of them? <laughs> you should be proud. Who wouldn't be proud with all the mentors and all the experience you have? And... That's wonderful. Uh, hey, New Jersey is very lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I hope to bring changes to, to the state and improve ABA here. Thank you. I congratulate you on that. And our people would 
I'll try to keep people posted on, you know, your work, and hopefully someday we can, you know, see more of that. And that's wow. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I appreciate the speechless moment. <laughs> Always makes a girl happy. <laughs> do my best. Um, well, since you're high, let me bring you down a little bit. Okay. What was your biggest failure as a BCBA or person working in the field? So I I think my biggest failure as a BCBA is, unfortunately, it was it was a matter of being inexperienced. Um, just a year out of grad school, I had decided to come back home to Florida. I was recruited initially right out of grad school to work in New Jersey, but it was a difficult situation, and so I wanted to give working in Florida a second try. I began working with a company that was very limited in its resources for behavior analysts. I was the only one that was working for the county that they were based out of. And I believe that I may have been one of very few behavior analysts in that county to begin with. So the company pushed for really high numbers of clients and I had to maintain at least a client list of 28 to 32 cases per week. Oy. Exactly. Right. Your answer says it all. I was inexperienced. And unfortunately, at the time in Florida, that was not necessarily uncommon. But the other limitation was that the services were only allowed for one hour a week paid through Medicaid. So we know <laughs> that it's really difficult to create change and to help people when you have only one hour a week and now you're seeing 20 to 32 cases a week. It, it was the time constraints, the inability to, to, to do big changes forced me to eventually leave the company. Within a year, I believe I was, I was out. I tried to fix the situation to the best of my ability when, that I, when I was experiencing all these awful moments, you know, with not being able to serve people the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I changed my strategy from tackling problems with the children specifically to becoming a, a trainer for parents. Mm -hmm. I took this issue to the company and I said that to them. I said, I can work with the parents to try to fix the issues that they're asking me to help them with, but I think it would be more beneficial to teach them basic principles of applied behavior analysis so that they can start looking at their world a little different and have the tools to look at challenging behavior and be able to work through it on their own. My services were limited. We had max three month, you know, approvals mm -hmm. for one hour a week. We can sometimes extend it to six months, but that was rare. So I did what I could. It was not a good situation for myself nor for the families I was helping, even though I did see some successes and they were so happy to get the services because they had few resources themselves. But I want to say that I think that was my biggest failure. And unfortunately, it was due to, to an, an experience. I was not that experienced. I was very young. And now I know better, <laughs> which is great. It's kind of far-fetched, but looking back... Uh how could you have fixed that if there's any chance because it's more than just you you have you have the heart you have the knowledge you might not get the experience that you have right now but you know it's more than just you We're talking about medicaid and talking about company talking about right. money and politics i always learned that money and politics is always the Absolutely. problem and solution to most things education so right. is there any way that now you after, you know, a few years, I mean, can you think of anything that you could have done differently that would benefit the families? So I think at the time I did as best as I could to benefit the families, which is to switch up my model to more of a teaching model for the parents. Mm -hmm. um, if this situation happened to me now, I'd know that I'd have to look at the ethics as well. You know, I, I try to follow the ethics as best as I could, but I, we know that when things when we can't practice ethically, we need to remove ourselves from the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I should have done. I did eventually do that. Mm -hmm. Within a year, I, I stepped down from my position and, and transferred again to New Jersey where I was able to 
do ABA at a different level. But I think knowing where our limitations lie and how to follow the ethics correctly, because sometimes we want to save the world and saving the world is not possible at all times because we have to practice ethically. Not saying that I was unethical, but definitely I would do things differently. I would speak to the company, tell them that the format that they had was not effective. Tell, you know, talk to them about hiring other behavior analysts and what their resources are for that because just being the singular behavior analyst was not effective. It's, it's hard, especially you're the only person you don't know. You don't have another person that you can bounce off ideas with. Exactly. And then on the other hand, you you have the heart, maybe too much heart. Just uh, most of us, some of us will have that, you know, we, we want to help and we just get really, we just lost that objectivity. You just, be, you just get really personal because you want to help the family so much. You just forgot about that and you get into that area. Yeah, just it's, it's a really tough situation. Just there's nothing other than experience can help you at that point. Absolutely, absolutely. And and it became, I, I became board certified, fully board certified during my time at this company. And it really became evident to me that I could no longer practice behavior analysis the way I wanted to and under the responsibilities of, of being full certified, which is why I stepped down. Yes. It's the right choice. Uh, just really tough decision, but I'm glad you did it. Let's bring you back up again. I'm playing with your emotions. Yes, please. <laughs> so, so what was your biggest success as a BCBA or work, a per, a working in the field? Okay. So if I'm going to discuss solely working in the field, it was actually funny enough during that same really difficult year that I worked in Florida. One particular client was fairly difficult. I won't necessarily go into the details about him. I can't. But one of the things that I remember striking me strongly was the response of the teacher to the child. I was brought into an emergency meeting in October for this child. And it was essentially an interdisciplinary team meeting about him. And when the teacher spoke about him and how difficult his case was behaviorally, she broke down into tears and said, I cannot teach him. I do not want to teach him. He makes my he makes me not want to come to work. And that was really intense because when I looked at him and did my observations prior to this meeting, I thought we can work through this. You know, we can work through this. And and it saddened me to see such des such a desperate moment from this teacher. I did all my assessments, my FBAs, tested all my hypotheses, wrote a fairly intensive plan. And I must thank my mentor, Kevin, because there were many nights where I would just get really frustrated and call him and, and ask for, for a bouncing sounding board. <laughs> for my work for my work because again I was I was alone I was working on my own in this agency and I did not have that so I wrote a very intensive plan for her she fought me the first week telling me she could not do it essentially I was running a, a timer schedule with her to provide attention because the function ended up being attention uh, for the challenging behavior and I had her on a very thick schedule of reinforcement for for this child so she wore the timer the timer went off and she said this is going to disrupt my class it's not going to work I told her I said please give it a try let me look at the data let's try it because you have no other options other than getting him out of the school and that's not going to happen. She worked through it. It was amazing. He, we got his behaviors almost down to zero, Ooh. participating in class, actively getting some of the best grades in her class because he was extremely bright. And he was a little guy. I think we were in a first kindergarten class because he was going to first grade the next year. Yeah, kindergarten class. When we came together at the end of the year for a final review meeting about his progress, this time she cried from happiness. And she said that he became her favorite student and she saw the potential in him and that her next biggest worry about him was sending him to first grade where she didn't think the teachers would be able to continue what she worked with or all the work that she did. And they knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue that case. So they were really concerned about the progress that he had made and they were so scared that he would fall backwards, <laughs> basically. But my understanding is that he did not. His, sec his first grade teacher was a little more difficult to get buy-in from, but we tried. And the kindergarten teacher became really involved in helping the first grade teacher keep up the plan and, and you know, to the criteria that we had lowered it to. Mm -hmm. So that was probably my biggest success working out in the field. Now, I ha I've had many, many other successes, but I think that was one of my very first. 
and probably one of the most salient as far as the memory goes. That is a really, really good one. You practically saved this kid's life, or if not like the academic career, I don't know, lack of the work, school years, whatever you call that, because, you know, he would have a really hard time going to kindergarten, and then, and then you know, that's pretty much could build on to the rest of his life and all that, and then, you know, for a teacher, I know that some teachers do not believe in ABA, and you just turn the teacher, a non-believer, into belief in Absolutely. what we do, so, and, uh, yeah, basically, you turn a bench warmer to a star player. He was a star player. He became the star player for this teacher, and it was it was a really amazing thing to see. And I and I had her actively looking at data. I had her collecting data, and she was great. She would have it all prepped up for me, and and we would look at his progress, and she would just you could see the joy change, you know, and increase over time. So that's if, so. If there's one thing that you can take from this, what did you learn from the one thing that? That, that you can tell people your success. So what is what is the selling point of this? That ABA or implementing ABA in your life just overall makes it better. We talk about joy and happiness, but there truly are indices of happiness that you can look at. It's 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 an it's a behavior, right? You mm -hmm. can measure it, you can define it. And when you start seeing increases of that, those indices of happiness. Mm -hmm. You're you're looking at success, you know, when and that just makes that just makes a big difference. So uh, that teacher just get free supervision from you? Is she a BCBA now? You know, I actually don't know because eventually I moved back up to New Jersey, so I lost contact with with them. What I did know is that the school psychologist was working on her BCABA at the time. I'm sorry, her BCBA at the time. She would come and observe what I was doing and help me out to make sure that the days that I was not at the school, that things were still followed up with. So I knew that I was able to also not only help the teacher see what ABA was, mm -hmm. I also helped the, the school psychologist really get a sense for what she was getting herself into by becoming board certified. That's great. You spread the love. And uh, there are many school psychologists that I know that are trying to get into BCBA. So I like that they have like both sides of the, you know, the perspective. And let's move on to what is the, the forces with me moment for you that okay. ABA works? So now that I've been behavior analyst for almost 10 years, and even before that, because once you commit to the to the career you know even while you're in school you you develop that sensitivity to becoming a behavior analyst so I've I've been in it for a long time I've had many forces with me moments we talked a little bit about that very first success that I had that just felt that was so salient with the teacher mm -hmm. I think the last couple of years working here in New Jersey as a consultant for one of the developmental centers. We mentioned this briefly in our pre-interview, but the state of New Jersey was sued by the Department of Justice for some of the things that were happening at their developmental centers. And one of the items that the Department of Justice pointed out to the state that they needed to do was to hire behavior analysts to put them into the developmental centers and work with the psychology department and developmental center teams to, to get ABA in place and to improve the quality of the behavior support plans that were in place and to get some some effective treatment going. So one of the biggest, the forces with me moments was the changes that we made at the developmental center I, I worked at for about five, almost six years, changing the culture around from one that was not ABA related at all to the psychology department being fully ABA. We had always a team of at least four behavior analysts Initially, there was pushback from the psych team. They were all psychologists, but eventually we got buy-in from them as well by showing them and demonstrating the effectiveness of, of the, the treatments that we were implementing and by teaching them applied behavior analysis. Again, I was able to work with my mentor, Kevin, for a couple of years, um, had other amazing behavior analysts, and, and there's a long laundry list, so I won't name them all, but my mentor really made a huge impact at this time. And we ended up teaching all the behavior support staff and the psychologists all different types of principles of behavior analysis. We started by teaching them the Cooper book. Mm. We moved on to teach them how to, you know, troubleshoot behavior support plans, data collection systems. One of the best moments that I've had is implementing a data collection system that is ridiculously 
extensive and detailed through Excel for an entire developmental center covering over 200 clients that were that had behavior support plans. To this day, they're still using the, the system. They enter data and a multitude of graphs are um, created. We use pivot charts as well. And it's just phenomenal that we have real-time data analysis. That has allowed us to create immediate changes in behavior support plans to go down to the clients immediately and just target behaviors as they're happening, change them, create strategies, test them. We also opened up the very first functional analysis clinic within the state at this developmental center, and we ran functional analyses with all our clients. It's been done in other states. Brian Iwata did it in Tennessee. It had not been done at this level at the developmental centers in New Jersey. And we were able to do it at the developmental center I worked at under the guidance of Kevin Shaw. So big forces with us moment. Unfortunately, the well, no, actually, fortunately, the centers are closing. Um, the Olmstead mm -hmm. Act is finally coming into place and developmental centers are starting to shut down in the state and everything is transitioning over to community-based work um, or community homes. So the, the center is closing, so they are no longer going to be using the tools that we left them, but we made great changes in the time that we were there, bringing down from over 200 behavior support plans to probably down to 56 or so by the time I left, which is great. It is. It is. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Just, wow. We wow. rocked. You guys did. Rocked it. If, if I'm going to say it in one way, it's that. We, we rocked ABA at this center. It was not perfect ABA by any means because of the limitations that come with working at such a big developmental center and the issues of staffing and training and how difficult that can be. Because you're looking at, I want to say at any given moment, there were over a thousand employees working at the center as direct care staff. You know, there were a lot of issues that we ran into, many days where you just wanted to bang your head against the wall. But again, mistakes are always learning opportunities and, and we try to make the best of it. That is great. Wow. Yeah, no SIB. No, SIB. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> none. <laughs> And otherwise, someone else have to do the, the you have to chart your behavior again and do another FBA. Then you know. Anyways, uh, what is the most important thing a BCBA should learn and master, in your opinion? I think the most important thing, aside from knowing the principles well and being able to perform good ABA, is to be able to also sell your knowledge to the client. No matter who your client is, we practice in every area. But we know that most of the outside world is not exposed to ABA the way, the way that we are. And they may not understand it the way that we do. So being able to sell our knowledge and sell the possibility of results and effective results is key. And so one of the things that many behavior analysts have read, and I know it was one of the first books that Dr. Bailey made us read at Florida State, was Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's one of my little Bibles. I want to say I have two copies that are um, in my library. I have a digital copy. I make some of the interns that I've worked with read it because you truly have to have that honey versus vinegar type mentality. You want to be honey. You want to be able to sell your craft and be able to influence the decisions that people make to see the ABA as an effective tool in their world. And we can provide that for them. So I think that's probably not the most important, definitely the second most important thing that a BCBA needs to learn and master. We cannot come in abrasive or too confident about what we do and what we know because that turns people away. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's it. Mm, I, I, I like that answer a lot. On the other hand, what is the most misunderstood terms or procedure of ABA? And can you elaborate or clarify on that? It, so it's my biggest pet peeve about misconcep a misconception in ABA or, or, or misunderstood term actually is. Yeah. And it's a very simple answer. Negative reinforcement. It drives me crazy that anytime I encounter someone and I speak of negative reinforcement, they automatically they automatically think it's punishment. Out in the community, it is not understood that when we use positive and negative, 
when it comes to reinforcement and, pu and punishment, we're actually talking about mathematical equation. It's a subtraction or an addition of a certain stimulus. And, and they don't understand that in the, out in the outside world, <laughs> not in ABA mm -hmm. world, but in the outside world. They always think of it as qualitative, so good versus bad. So they think negative reinforcement is bad, and therefore it's punishment. It, in their mind, that's really what they're, they're thinking about it. They're thinking about punishment when actually it's not. And that is my biggest pet peeve. I try to correct and clarify the definition of negative reinforcement whenever I can. Now that I'm a training behavior analyst for the state of New Jersey, and a lot of my trainings include basic principles of behavior analysis, it is crazy how many people don't understand the term. But that's what I'm there for now, to teach them. So... They are learning the right definition now. Ah, 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 I can sense a little <laughs> evil laugh there. Ah, ah, ah. Absolutely. <laughs> there is nothing feels better to me than teaching people behavior analysis and the the basic principles of behavior analysis. That's true. We're just, we need to spread the love and spread Absolutely. the knowledge. Absolutely. Talk about knowledge, then we have to talk about books. So. What is your must-have ABA book? That's not the white book. That is not the white book. I'm going to say Science and Human Behavior by Skinner. Oldie um, but goodie. Oldie but goodie. It is one of those basic must-have books, basic everybody needs to read books. Because, again, a lot of people are getting into the field only thinking that they're going to work in autism and only understanding what DTT is, what net teaching is, and those little very niche areas, right? Mm -hmm. Science and human behavior, reading that book, I think opens up your world about everything that is behaviorism and ABA and how it fits into every aspect of our lives. It, it, and it's only the starter to that idea. I look at my entire world differently because of applied behavior analysis. Every moment in my life can be defined in behavior analytic terms. And looking at different subjects, math, science, languages, everything is, is ABA. Everything is learning, you know. Science and human behavior should be the primer book to open up your world about everything that ABA can be. We need to. Everyone need to read that. You heard from Jersey's Best. <laughs> well, not Jersey's Best, but hopefully one of them. <laughs> Trying to be, at least. That's good. I always want to be the best and, you know. Even 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 as good as you, you still want to learn and, you know, we all need to learn from you. And there's not like, you know, you got your BCBA or BCBAD off so then you can walk on water and know everything. There's just the more you learn, the more you have to learn. Absolutely. And my friends, my behavior analysis coworkers and friends laugh at me because they know that I'm a hoarder. I am a hoarder of anything that is related to ABA as far as books articles, you name it, you have to keep up with the literature, you have to keep up with what's being published, and you have to look back in time and history. If I were to show you guys my library right now, you guys would be amazed. I go back even to the people that influenced Skinner, and I have books from them, from the philosophers that he read. I go back and look at some of the other contemporaries that he worked with, and how the ideas developed. And you look at everything that's been done since, and then you start looking at the future and seeing what's coming out. You truly cannot stop learning at all. You cannot shut the door to learning once that BCBA is in your hands. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, wow. Now I need to go check out your library one of these days. Sure. Uh, you, should, you, you should just like put up a list of, you know, the books you have and wow. Absolutely. And I have a, I have a variety, a big variety of books and a lot of them are also OBMs. So yes, <laughs> I can definitely um, share with you some lists and maybe you can post them on your blog. Yes, ma'am. I would totally definitely want to do that. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. I'll get on it one of these days. Sure. Uh, <laughs> just when parents come to you and tell you about some diet or therapy that do not have much data to back it up, what would you tell them? Very simple. Look at the literature and the research behind what it is that they're looking for. If there's no evidence or very little, look for treatments that are evidence-based. It's what we it's what we strive for. Evidence-based, effective treatment. 
And if it doesn't have that, then they shouldn't try it because it could potentially cause more harm than good. And and that is very simply what I tell them. And if they want me to try something, I obviously say no. I also tell them it's their decision. They are the parent. I just have to step away from the case. I haven't had the opportunity to work with too many parent cases, which, you know, my... I've done most of the bulk of my work with adults, but when I have worked with parents, it is their decision at the end of the day. So I also tell them, test it, take data on it, see what happens, you know, because they also can see directly the results of what it is that they're trying mm -hmm. if they choose to go that route. Yeah, some of them just would try, you know, I like to say bacon diet. They heard someone say, you know, bacon diet had a really good marketing strategy and all that. And everyone think, you know, after you take a, buy a bacon, everything's better. And right. some parents would really try that. I, <laughs> I'll try that. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, yeah. And, and really look at, look at the research behind it. What kind of research has been done? Does it demonstrate effective, you know, treatment? And if it doesn't, they should really consider not doing it. Um, the research is by, uh, I don't know, Hormel or something, I don't know, uh, Oscar, Oscar Meyer, Oscar Meyer is actually the, the... <laughs> right, the, the bacon providers. <laughs> there you go. That's the only way to go, right? Sim well, we'll talk about parents. So what if someone else, not the parents, uh, friends of the parents, the grandparents tell you to say, hey, my, I don't know, my, my grandson looks like he has something, but his parents don't believe in it. Or, you know, your cousin's boyfriend's sister's son has something and you don't know what they they, they suggest that, you know, you, you, you're the one that knows behavior and work with, you know, people with disabilities. So can you help them out? And what would you tell the parents? The parents don't believe they have anything. Right. So what would you tell them? What would you do? Right. So that. I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, have been in this situation at some point, and it can be really difficult to manage because you are talking now about people that are your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, and how do you let them know that these are things you cannot do? I mean, ethically, we cannot do that. Mm -hmm. What I tend to do, my response to them is, if the parent doesn't believe it, I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's parent decision, it's parent-child relationship. If it, they'd like to suggest something to the parent, it's on them. But I, I can and sometimes do give them names of people that are able to work with them. So, so references for other behavior analysts. Most of the time, if you are approached by someone that says, you know, the child does X, Y, Z behavior, we fear that they may have X diagnosis. You can already formulate who you know that works in that specific area and say, okay, I can't help you with that because it's unethical. If you feel like you need to speak to the parent or, you know, about this, here are some references for people that are actually qualified to do the work that you're looking for. Now you take that. I need to step out from the situation because it, I cannot have that moment with someone and tell them, hey, I think your child is this because it's not up to me to diagnose. It's up to me to have a referral mm -hmm. from the correct professionals about what I'm, you know, what I'm going to be looking for and to have the parent already, you know, knowledge, have knowledge of what it is that they want or the treatment that they're seeking out for their child. So the, as the farthest step I'll take is to provide a reference for someone and let them have that conversation with the parent. Mm -hmm. Just be it's, ethical, be professional. Right, right. And am I making a mistake with that? I don't know, but I weigh out the options also, because mm -hmm. you could also at the end of the day, just say, have them speak to their pediatrician, mm -hmm. you know, have them speak to the person that they're constantly connected with about the health of their child, which is typically the pediatrician mm -hmm. and discuss further, you know, mm -hmm. Let them. that's true. Just guide them there. You do you can guide them to the right direction. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, is it's the parents' decision, and that's so much we can do. Right, exactly. On a light note, so how can you apply ABA in your everyday life? Say some kind of personal habit. So you did a fantastic thing today by allowing me to do my daily workout. <laughs> Right now, I'm trying to implement measurement of my own behavior and completion of tasks in my own world. And of course, most of us struggle at some level with being healthier mm -hmm. and trying to make changes with that. So right now, I think that's the one thing I'm trying to do. It's is to improve my health by completing more 
exercise routines on a daily basis and eating healthier. I do, I am a little geeky about it. I do have apps for it that track what I eat. Mm -hmm. I do have apps for how much activity I engage in throughout the day. And I set goals for myself and I try to achieve those goals. So changing criterion design (laughs) for... (laughs) for changing behavior of exercising. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. Also, cutting down amount of television and how much more I'm reading and keeping up with the information in ABA land mm. because of the work that I'm doing now. It's, it involves teaching. It involves being up to date with all my knowledge and being current in the field. So that's another thing that I've been trying to do. And it's trying to um, make sure I at least read something a day, at least the next amount of time. So there is observable, measurable data that can be collected for my behavior. Just, just who needs a personal trainer when you have a personal BCBA? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's going to be my t-shirt idea. Let me write it down. I'm just going to... You know, life coaches can benefit from taking from becoming behavior analysts. Oh, don't give them too much idea. Come on. No, no, because that's up to us to do from now on. <laughs> hey, whatever works. I mean, we don't just work with one population. We can work with Absolutely. any kind of people. Absolutely. So that's what you should do. Yeah. What else? Okay. Can you give us an example of your favorite sports or a movie character with something APA? Uh, so... When I look at sports, and I am, I'm a sports fan for, you know, not very uh, crazy type of sports fan, but I do enjoy sports. And really, when I look at sports at the most basic level that ABA can be inserted is shaping. Look at performance in sports. It's all movement and it's all learned. So shaping behavior to get to the level of performance of these athletes is what has to happen. Why do they have coaches? To train them and shape their performance and their behavior. Say, I'm a, I am a Miami Heat fan. Don't shoot. <laughs> Don't shoot me, please. Not everybody is. <laughs> I am. I'm from Miami. So I, I have to be a fan for my Miami Heat. But look at the performance of the basketball players and all the, all the behaviors that they have to engage in to score to get a basket, you know, shooting, moving the arm, the, the style, what they have to do to get that ball in the basket. At the most basic level, you're looking at shaping and in addition to reinforcement and everything that happens. So, so yeah, ABA is everywhere. I, I look at everything and ABA is there. So as far as the movie character, I've always found Castaway to be a really interesting movie. I do think it should have won the Oscar versus Gladiator. That was all CGI. Looking at one actor play the role of someone that's in a deserted island with no human contact was very interesting because you saw behavior change. He had to adapt to a new environment, an environment where he had none of the things that he was used to or very few of them and had to learn to survive. So breaking down behavior and learning to that evolutionary to that very basic evolutionary level it was a very interesting movie and and i like to watch it every once in a while to just kind of test my knowledge and and to look at the different things that i may have missed before i mean you're looking at ab you're looking at behavior analysis at all levels looking at that character so i can see like uh when you do your training you're gonna have people like watch like here are five movies that you got to watch over the weekend and then we're gonna talk about it (laughs) yeah i I wish i could do that i wish my trainings were involved that level of, of of training actually another very interesting movie that we had um the interns at the clinic that i sometimes moonlight for um watch was blackfish the movie about the whale tilikum in SeaWorld, if you look at that movie, it's a documentary actually, you could break down every single behavior that happens and how it was shaped over time that got this whale to quote, kill trainers. Um, it's a very interesting movie and I highly suggest for anybody that's being trained or has you know behavior analysis in their background to look at that movie. It's very interesting. I have to watch that movie now. Yes, uh, yes absolutely. <laughs> we can discuss further when you're done watching it. It's very simple. It's very simple. The The principles are there and they are at play uh, when you see what the whale does. Wow. We need ABA Journal Club and we need ABA Movie Club. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I, I nominate. 
I nominate you, Delia, as our first <laughs> club president. I, I would absolutely volunteer. I can throw in ideas for things that we could do. <laughs> Here you go. I can I can totally use that. I think that'd be fun. Like you said, we need to spread the love, spread people, you know, change the public opinion perception. on a per perception on us and you know that would be what's the better way to do it we make we are we pair ourselves with fun stuff so that's a really good start so absolutely i couldn't agree more we're just like giving me a lot of ideas to work on things and yeah and yeah, just gave and me you, a t-shirt idea that's always good right and you're you're a very busy guy with the facebook page and and you have a lot of people looking at it so yeah you you are influential at this point all writing your coattail, all writing the FIT and all those great people for the and you know ABA people's coattail. Just do my best to learn some more. That's how I. That's that's why I wanted to start this because I don't think I I can say I'm experienced yet, and you know I just have a lot to learn. And what's better way to learn than to talk to people and interact with people? I I think that would be that's a good way for me to learn. So hopefully I can help other people too. So I don't want to keep you up. It's almost midnight at your time. Let's try to power through this. Sure. What is your biggest concern in the field? It could be training, parent training, teaching, research, funding, or I don't know, bacon diet, whatever you name it. So this is a point that I feel very strongly about, and I might have people disagree with me, and I have might have people get upset with me. But one of my biggest concerns in the field right now is the five course certificate sequence. I may have posted about this on certain Facebook replies for the groups, but I am truly concerned about the quality and the level of knowledge that I see when I work in the community or when I when I receive work from other quote-unquote BCBAs and how lacking it is in knowledge and, and in just correct use of ABA. It's, it's, it's very lacking. There are a few select people out there that are GEMS that are just solely certified. Just like there's some people that have masters in ABA that are may not be that great. But in general, my concern is that behavior analysis is, is a broad field and, and not saying broad in the sense of, well, no, it's broad. You can apply it to every aspect of life. You can work with any population, not just the niche. And, and my concern is that people are going into the field just thinking, I'm only going to work with autism. I'm only going to work with little kids. And they're not, and they have blinders on about that. They're not seeing the bigger picture. A five course sequence where it's just 15 hours of ABA and sometimes minimal ABA, because at this point I have supervised some students that have gone through the sequence, is not enough. It truly is not enough to call yourself a behavior analyst. If you're going to go this route, you have to do so much work on your own to get to a higher level. You have to seek someone that's amazing at supervision, not just the people that are floating by to supervise. You have to do so much more research on your own. You have to study on your own so much more and try to expand your own horizon in ABA. And that can be difficult, and not everybody is doing that. A master's program, a PhD program in applied behavior analysis teaches you so much more. I talked about the levels and the depth of information that I got from my professors and from the great lineage that I have. That came from the time from putting in the time to becoming a behavior analyst, that time, that master's degree, the behavior, the, the undergrad degree in psychology, that's huge. I mean, you, there's no way that you can compare the level of knowledge and the breadth of knowledge that someone that has those degrees in applied behavior analysis has in comparison to someone that just does a certificate coursework. And I know that saying this is going to get me enemies. It's a fact because a lot of people feel that they can and do just as good of a job. Some of you can, some cannot. And I do see that the board is shifting in their direction and maybe tightening the requirements on this. At some point, it's not enough. At some point, it's not enough. I have told people that have asked me about the certificate coursework if that's the route that they should go. And I honestly tell them that they should consider a master's in ABA if that's what they really want to do. I do know some personal former co-workers co that had just certificate coursework and had a master's in special ed or whatnot that have gone back and gone gotten their degrees in applied behavior analysis. They now tell me they see my point of view much clearly much clearer. They understand where I come from because now they're getting that depth and it makes sense to them why I 
say what I'm saying. So that is my biggest concern. Watering down the quality of behavior analysis with a five core sequence can be really tough for those of us that are working out in the field trying to do good work. Because then not only do we have to sell our skill and our craft, we have to go back and correct what somebody else has done incorrectly and try to resell ABA as an effective technique for many that have experienced poor services. And that is just double and triple the work. Is that? That's that's (laughs) slowly digesting. I'm like, that is so true. I mean, I I can tell there's some other thing that I, I think I actually said that joke to Dick Merlock. I said like, there are BCBAs, all BCBAs are equal, but some BCBAs are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, yeah, your background and your training, your experience, your knowledge, that mean a lot. And yeah, I, that, you know, continuing education, that might help some people, but some just not. It, it's something that, you know, a lot of us have to think about. And for people that just got their BCBA, they have to think about, are they equipped to do their job? If not, how can you seek help and how can you better yourself? And that's... That's the bottom line. I, I still trying to better myself. I keep learning from my 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 guests to right. try to pick up the pieces. I just feel that I'm inadequate. I I, I have my BCBA. I'm not saying I, I wouldn't do anything to. And, and I'm not saying that somebody with a master's degree or a doctoral degree in applied behavior analysis is is per se better, but they definitely get a wider expansion of knowledge. They are exposed to so much more, and you get you start getting a different perspective. Versus someone that kind of skims the information off of a five-course sequence. The people that are doing the five-course sequence have to put in so much more work into becoming, truly becoming behavior analysts, if that's what they want. Mm -hmm. And somebody, not saying that we don't put in as much effort, because we're putting in a lot of effort as well, but there's just that much more work that they have to be willing to put in for that. What is the biggest misconception of people with autism or disability or the field you're working in? Would that be your answer, kind of? Concern and misconception, I don't know, different thing. um, So I think, and it's, I think this is a simpler answer for me. And because I work mostly with adults, I see that a lot of people are just trying to focus on working with children with autism. And I understand that there's a need. But I also, what I see is that everybody in the outside world, again, not ABA world, is seeing applied behavior analysts strictly as a tool and technique for autism, and it is not. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is it a misconception about autism per se? Not as much. Is it a misconception about what we do in the world of autism and what we can do everywhere else? Yeah. I think people are not seeing that we can work in every other aspect of life and work, really. Yes. A lot to think about. <laughs> There's a lot I think about when it comes to these things because I'm I'm trying to teach people about behavior analysis in general and about everything that we can do, not just developmental disabilities. Although my focus on trainings is on developmental for for people working with developmentally disabled adults of all kinds. And I think that's the other thing that I'm seeing here. Mostly people working with children in New Jersey are working with children that are diagnosed with autism. But most of the people that I know here that are working with adults are working with all the varieties of developmental disabilities, not just autism. So that's the other thing that I don't, I don't like that shift, that strict shift to autism because we seem to be forgetting the rest. And some of us are working hard throughout the country to work with every other population. Mm-hmm. But that shift to ABA, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, of ABA to just strictly autism, which a lot of people seem to have, I think is detrimental to the to the field because we're not just a treatment for autism. I agree. ABA is more than just for treatment for children with autism. ABA can be used for way more things. Right. And not very many people understand that. It's crazy, especially some other therapies and trying to say paint ABA as the robotic DDT thing that, you know, I think we should do a little better with marketing and just do something fun and silly for once and show them that we're not just all robots. And my experience with OBM, you know, demonstrating behavior change in businesses. I mean, that's huge that we could do so much more there than, than what's happening. You know, it's a very small niche 
as well in the business field to be a behavior analyst or or to be an OBM. But there's so much that we can do in every aspect. Again, unfortunately, the money right now seems to be in the realm of mm-hmm. children with autism because the, the awareness is, I think, finally at a point where people are truly aware of what it is and are willing to put the money for treatment. So yeah, you know, we're effective and we work and we can make good changes there. But we also need to start selling our craft in the other areas that we can and selling our field mm. above and beyond that. Well, let's go make some honey. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, exactly, absolutely. We talk about this, uh, what, are the artic- what are the articles that you think is very important or the most important in your mind? So we know that there's all the articles that we should be reading. You know, I could easily say Iwata, Beowulf and Risley, you know, but one of the articles that I think that snuck up on me in in my years working with adults was balancing the right to habilitation with the right to personal liberties. The right of people with developmental disabilities to eat too many donuts and take a nap. This article was brought to my attention by Kevin Schock, and it really gives you a nice perspective on what it is to work with adults and rights and how often the rights of the clients are put on the side and, and, and they're not given their rights as adults. Sometimes with great intentions, you know, to provide better treatment, to provide better services. But we often forget that the clients are adults and they can and should have rights. Here's the other thing about this article. We forget that we're working with children that are going to be adults and understanding the shift and what it is to treat and provide services for children to adults is a big shift. You go from working with children to provide the best treatment possible, but you're still working under the guidelines of parents, right? You do mm-hmm. what the parent... The parent has to consent to what you're doing with the child. Mm-hmm. In the adult world, that shifts because that adult can potentially be their own guardian or they'll have other people that are guardians that are not necessarily parents, that they can be public guardians, social workers, other family members. And you really truly need to start looking at the rights of adults and how that affects treatment and how you can continue to provide good services for them. So this article was one that snuck up on me in my time working here in New Jersey. And it's one that I've even gone and made presentations of to the staff that I used to work with at the developmental center to remind them that our clients had rights. In addition to the right to getting great treatment from us. They also had personal rights that we had to make sure we can balance between the services we were providing and allowing them to do the things that they wanted to do. Balance. Yep, balance. It's in the title. (laughs) There you go. Yep. So I suggest that everybody read it. The article is by Bannerman and Sheldon Sherman and Harshik. I'm sorry, a little difficult to read, but I will give this information to Anson and he can post it on the blog. It is in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis though, so you can find it easily there. Thank you, Delia. And you just gave us a piece of very important advice. And what is the most, what's the best advice you have ever received? I think there are two pieces of advice that I have received over my time so far as a behavior analyst. And one is to always stay humble. We don't know it all. We know a lot, but we don't know it all. So continuing to expand your knowledge, continuing to learn is key. And we need to stay humble about what we do. One, because in many times we have the ability to make changes in people's lives that can improve their lives. But also if we make mistakes, it can hurt them pretty badly. So we have to be aware of that. So staying humble, one. The next one, you can test it. We can test so much when it comes to behavior and we can manipulate variables. Want to break it down to maybe just talking about functional analysis? Sure, we can. But always think about the fact that we can test our hypotheses. And it's best to do that because then you can truly find out what works and doesn't work when you're providing treatment. Don't just come in and say, I have blanket treatment for this behavior. We need to test it. We need to find function. And and that's key for providing good services. So just that little saying, you can test it. Test it is, is another thing that has come into my world. Again, this is by Mr. Shock. One of his little sayings that 
that I've really taken to heart because we need to. I'm gonna make a T-shirt. <laughs> just test it. That's you whatever. <laughs> just, just gonna make a T-shirt. And、uh, on the other hand, any crazy request you ever had? What was the craziest request you ever had? You know, I, I that's actually a harder one. I don't think I've ever gotten any outrageous request. Um, I think the craziest requests are maybe sometimes my friends asking me to help them with something or to tell them how to fix a certain behavior, and I tell them, you know, I can probably give you some hints or some advice, but I shouldn't. So, l- luckily, I haven't had many crazy requests when it comes to being a behavior analyst, which is nice. Uh, come back when you have one. I sure will. <laughs> oh, um, another, well, hmm, I'm trying to think. No, really, I, I don't think I have had one. That's that's good. That makes me happy. <laughs> it hasn't come yet, but it will. It will, right? <laughs> Always expect the unexpected.、Uh, that's that's the only thing we learn in this field. That's one big、right. thing we can take away. Okay, so、uh, for the longest time, I didn't know I updated this script. So for some reason, some of the people just like what the, when I ask them questions. So now I'm looking at it. So which big name in the ABA world would you like to have dinner with? I'll keep it simple with this one. I'll probably say B.F. Skinner himself. What about the ones that's alive? Alive. I've had the opportunity to meet quite a few people, have lunch, have a meal with someone. That's a tough end. That's a tough question because there's so many people that are great. I think someone that I would probably would like to speak to, and I've had the opportunity to meet him briefly, is Jack Michael out of Western Michigan University, only because he really. Continue to delve into the world of verbal behavior, and it's a nice continuation as to what、um, you know Skinner did, and 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 he tried to explain it further. So, I would like to speak to him a little more, maybe. So,、um, okay, and、uh, if you can ask Skinner one question, what would it be? I think my question would be was. Why are we in the field of psychology? Why are we not in the field of maybe biology or evolutionary sciences? That's true,、uh, but that's true. Just we, no, really good question. Because I thought like it's like you know behavior that comes from your mind, and mind is from your brain, and brain is psychology. I, that's I'm just trying to throw something out, and because yeah, and then now just so different now is like. You know, we are part of a car, but then with the tires, you don't really go ask people about the tires or I don't know something like you. You, it's part of your body, but you know, we're like dentistry. They are like I don't know, eye doctor or something. Just it's different, right? So yeah, and and I think with my lim, you know, I have a limited background in bio, but I look at what we do, and and really, it boils down to learning and evolution and environment. Why are we not in that area rather than psychology? I think that's one of the thing you posted this morning, right? Maybe from last night. <laughs> I don't know. Some of that when I woke up was like behavior is that, and then evolution. I'm like, ah, see, I do. You, you do I do read. <laughs> You follow. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's great.、Um, yeah, I. That's one of the things I I think about often. So, and I do have quite a few friends in in the field of paleontology, and we end up discussing enough about behavior and their realm, and they understand it, and they're they're considered more of a hard science. Why aren't we there? You know. So that's. I think that's one of the things I would ask them. Why are we in psychology? <laughs> I'll build a time machine. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> Or just borrow the DeLorean somewhere.、Um, okay, that. Okay, let's try this one. I like to think that's my little curveball.、Uh, imagine you wake up tomorrow, all of your client population is gone. No more autism, developmental disabilities, management, staff training problem, business, whatever you name it. But you still have all your knowledge in ABA. What would you do? I would do one of two things. I would either go back. To medical school, like I initially had thought I would, coming out of high school, there was neuroscience, there was medical school. I I toyed with those two ideas. I would try that. I think the field of medicine can benefit so much from learning more about what behavior analysis is and and changing behaviors because so many of the things that we're dealing with, as far as medical issues, are issues that can be changed 
via behavior change, right? Another option would be to teach biology or to go into that realm. So they're they're fairly similar. <laughs> they're fairly similar. I, it's something that I've always had a really high interest in. A really strong interest is a better way to say it. But yeah. That's good. Well, still need to get my uh, time machine somewhere and test it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> let's wrap this up uh, any last piece of advice and how can we find you last piece of advice is never stop learning never stop seeking more information about what this is and all the fields surrounding it so one of the things that i found very interesting recently is um seeing dr susan schneider speak i've had her book since it came out the Oh my gosh, it's the consequences book. Okay, the science of consequences. Sorry, that was easy enough. So listening to her speak and throwing in all the biology, all the information on genetics, my suggestion to everybody is the minute that you find something like that, go on, look for more information on the subject and start tying it into what you know about behavior analysis. Don't just get locked down into how to teach a little kid how to speak or how to do man training. Look at the bigger picture. Learn what behavior analysis is in, in its bigger sense because it really opens up your mind to so much more and to all the possibilities of what you can do. And it really gives you a better understanding of why it is that you're training, man training with a little kid and working with someone with autism. It, it gives you the bigger scope to be able to continue to do your work. So I think that's my last piece of advice is to never stop learning. Never stop seeking out more information about what it is that you do or that you call yourself. How you can find me? You can find me, my contact information. We could probably give it to Anson and he may be able to post it. But you can follow me on Facebook if you really like, uh, Delia Cicada. I'm a little choosy as to who I allow to be my friend. Oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but we can we can try or you can email me um we can give anson also my email address and i am very happy to answer any questions that you may have about the field what i do one thing that we didn't really talk about is what i've been doing lately and lately i just got hired as the third behavior analyst um in the state of new jersey the first two were hired to work at one of the developmental centers i am the first one to be hired out of the central office for the Division of Developmental Disabilities. And I am part of the Olmstead resource team. So if you look up the state of New Jersey and the Department of Human Services, you can probably find there stuff about the Olmstead resource teams and what we've been doing. So training, transitioning um, clients from the developmental centers to uh, community settings, community living, which is very important. So you can probably find me there too, but I'll give Anson my information and he can post it. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to email me. And I am very open and willing to answer questions and provide a little further guidance. Thank you so much, Dalia. I learned a lot from you. I will get the information and this interview together and share with everyone else. And thank you so much for your time. It's way past midnight over there. So that's okay. I am happy to do the interview. Thank you, Anson, for inviting me to do it. It was a pleasure. And I hope you guys enjoy it and really just find the joy in what you do. Being a behavior analyst is just pretty freaking cool. And as dorky as that may sound, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much, Dahlia. New Jersey, check. Thank you.